Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Ethan Saylor. Ethan is the pastor of Ebenezer Presbyterian Church in nearby Lenox, South Dakota. You may have seen him on YouTube recently, but that's what we're about to talk about. Together, Ethan and I will cover his recent appearance on the 10-minute Bible Hour and what it was like to represent Presbyterianism to an online audience. And we'll also talk about what it is that all Christians who share a commitment to the historical confessions of faith have in common, regardless of denomination. There's a YouTube channel called 10 Minute Bible Hour that I've been watching recently because the host, Matt, visits various kinds of churches. He meets with Orthodox priests, Roman Catholic priests, other kinds of religious leaders. He tours around their church buildings and he talks to them about their beliefs. And what's fascinating about it is as an outsider, who's well-versed in the Bible, he asks all sorts of interesting and insightful questions, and it gives you an accurate sense of what other kinds of Christians believe, which I think is important. It's always nice to actually have an informed view of where they're coming from so that you're not just reacting to like a straw man or something. So I think this is a really valuable service to the church that Matt is doing. But imagine my surprise when I saw the thumbnail for his newest video and recognized the pastor that he was interviewing. I was like, this looks like Ethan Saylor. But I knew that couldn't be right because Ethan pastors a church near me here in South Dakota and and no one on YouTube has ever heard of South Dakota. How could this possibly be happening? But but lo and behold, I, I click on the thumbnail and it is Ethan giving a tour of his church and talking about uh, the Presbyterian Church in America, our denomination. And so I asked Ethan if he'd be gracious enough to come on the commentary and talk to us about this experience, because I knew he had to, because if he's going on YouTube, he definitely has to come on the podcast and answer questions. But but Ethan, uh, just tell me, like, how did this happen? How did you end up representing the PCA on YouTube? Yeah, well, let me first add a disclaimer that I am not the face of the PCA. Well, you are uh, now. And, oh, <laughs> I did not seek that position. It just happened by a mutual association. Matt is good friends with an elder at the uh, PCA Church in Rapid, and they were looking for a congregation to come and visit. And the elder of that church is a friend of mine, and he thought I would be great for this type of an interview and likes our sanctuary and the particular features of it and thought it would be a great place to kind of get a a PCA vibe. And so worked it out between us. I had never met Matt until he's on the street and I walk out the door. Matt did that intentionally. He didn't want it to be rehearsed. He just wanted it to be as it is in the video. So our, our mutual friend was the third camera or the second camera and he brought me the microphone, got it all set up, and then we started. And are you still friends now? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, so I'll put a link to the video in the show notes so people can go and check it out. And I encourage you to do it because it's interesting. You know, I've been in the sanctuary at Ebenezer 
in Linux a number of times, but I have to say, like, I have a new appreciation for huh. some of the things you pointed out uh, about the architecture and the significance of different features in the church that I thought was really helpful. And, and often, you know, we're so familiar with these things that we see them and we never reflect mm. on the significance that they have. And so this is a great opportunity, but, but I also have to say, I mean, it, it's a, it's a strange situation to find yourself in, right? As a pastor put on the spot like oh, yeah. that, you know, we're always being asked questions about our church by visitors and things like that, but they're not usually videotaping while we answer. To be in that situation where you know that it's not just a one-on-one -on -one with a person who's coming in off the street and wants to maybe make this their church home and you have to try to answer questions about why we do things the way we do, but rather this is a video that's going to be posted on YouTube and other videos that he's done have had over a hundred thousand views. And uh, I know this is already up to 25 or something in the two weeks it's been out. Right. Um, so a lot of people are going to see this and they're going to be tearing apart everything I'm going to say. And I have to try to balance all of that. And I want to be a fair representation, not, not necessarily to the church, but to the gospel and to Christ, I want to I want to present this well um, because this may be, and I think the purpose that Matt is has in doing this is not just to point out the differences, but the similarities in the faith, and to draw people into the church to the gospel uh, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's got a unique approach to this, and it's it's wonderful what he's doing. But yeah. When, when you're trying to explain the history that, I, you know, I've been at Ebenezer for six years and I got some things factually wrong about the history of my sanctuary. And when I had an elder graciously point that out to me after the fact, you, you're trying to balance that plus the symbolism to a lot of the things and trying to, to, to juggle all of these things in your head while you're doing it with the camera in front of you. Right, <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's daunting. It is. <laughs> well, I mean, the good news is, so the video came out August 14th. Um, I'm looking at, at it right now. So as of, of this date, there's 26,000 views. Uh, it looks like 1,300 people gave it a thumbs up and only 19 have given it a <laughs> thumbs down. And I'm positive that those 19 are other PCA mm -hmm. pastors who didn't like the way that you dotted your I's across your T's, <laughs> yeah. uh, which is only to be expected. But yeah, I, I think um, I would encourage people to take a look at it and also look at some of these other videos as well, because they do give you a sense mm -hmm. for uh, similarities, but also the, the, let's say the particular distinctives of different churches that we're not always familiar with. And so it, it helps you, number one, feel like a commonality mm -hmm. with uh, the larger church, but also it gives you maybe a better appreciation for the distinctives of your own church. Mm -hmm. If you watch the video, you'll see that after the tour is complete, uh, Matt in the studio gives kind of a debrief where he shares some of his thoughts and conclusions after being introduced by Ethan to Presbyterianism. And he makes some observations that I found really interesting. As someone coming from the outside into a Presbyterian church, Matt was really struck by the influence, let's say, of history, of church history on what we do. And I want to play you just a little bit of a clip of him describing that sense of like the history that influences why we do things the way we do them. 
There have been two churches I visited that are not Catholic, not Orthodox, where I sense that the historical pressure, the historical impulse of the Reformation is still really informing where they're at. One was the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church. The other is this Reformed Presbyterian Church. It is so much more evident here than, say, in visiting an Assemblies of God church that the, the tension that 2,000 years of church history shapes not just the stuff that the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church does and that the Presbyterian Church does, but it shapes what they don't do. And those churches that are startup-ish, they're just getting going right now, the big non-denominational dazzled jeans pastor kind of church, the more recent holiness movement kind of churches, there's a certain lightness that goes with that. Like, ah, we read the Bible and it looks like the gospel is in here and we should tell people that because we're excited about that thing. There's not the historical baggage. It's easier for those newer groups to be like, yeah, it's not really our fight. I, I don't know. I, I don't have to sort that one out. I don't know. But some of these other groups, they're positioned in a place where, no, we are a part of this very big historical thing. And here's sort of our chapter, our bit in the conversation. And I sense that from Presbyterianism. So, Ethan, I thought it was really striking there that when he describes the effect of history, he talks about it as a pressure mm -hmm. and he talks about it at one point as as baggage. Um, now, I think it's a great insight. Like, I'm, I'm absolutely impressed by the takeaway and some of the connections he's making. But I also think that the way I experience the history of the church is different than that. It's not a pressure that I feel, and, and it's certainly not baggage that, that I feel like I have to deal with. It's, it's something else. But I'm just curious, when you think about church history and, and its effects and influence on your ministry, um, what role does it play? Oh, that's a great question. Let me start by maybe offering a little bit of insight into Matt's insight. Uh, he was, I think, picking up on the tension that I feel, and that may be more of the, the clay vessel a representation of, the, of the, the vessel of earth and clay than the actual Presbyterian model that this is, there's all of my insecurities and uncertainties sure. were on display for everybody to see in that. Um, so he's very gracious and his reflection on this was, was excellent and picking up on some of the tensions that I experienced and feel. Well, but that is relevant though, because I think, we all have a sense as 21st century Presbyterian ministers that we're the worst of the lot <laughs> historically. And we look back at, at the guys who came before us and they just seem to have had such great knowledge and, and spiritual capacity that, that we're, you know, uh, a pale reflection yeah. of, of that history. I, I know I can't be truly reformed because my beard doesn't grow well. Right. I mean, I'm just not there yet. Um, but in, that's joking, but there's all of these, I think, PCA or reformed cultural influences that I measure myself against. And so I feel like I'm coming up short. Sure. And so, yeah, I demurred quite a bit with Matt and even with the elder that wanted me to do this saying, I'm really not the best guy for this, but they got, they got what they got. Right. They got a, a guy who's serving in the PCA preaching the gospel on a regular basis, ministering to a, a, the body of Christ. And and they're going to get my my take or my expression of 
what yeah. the PCA is. Well, and the problem is, this is one of those contexts where the more you say, I'm not the guy, the more convinced people are that, well, you must be the guy <laughs> yes, right. because only the right guy would say that he's the wrong right. guy. But back to your question about the the, the influence of history, um, for me, it, it, it gives me great comfort to know that I stand in a tradition um, where a lot of these things that we are wrestling with in culture and in and as the culture seeks to influence the church and the church is trying to to minister to the culture, a lot of the things that we're wrestling with have already been dealt with. And, you know, the e- Ecclesiastes will tell us there's nothing new under the sun. And the reason why we study the history and the reason we stand in it as a confessional church is because scriptures and the confessions which point us to the scriptures and the history of the church give us as Hebrew says, a cloud of witnesses that kind of point us in the right direction right, right. and give us that framework of looking at where we are in the world today. And so you have that comfort, but you also have that tension in a setting like this, because while I don't want to be the, the face of the PCA, I am trying to represent the sure. PCA for this particular setting. Yeah. And I uh, think the the point you just made uh, about the confession is, is, is a really good one because in the clip that we played, Matt makes that connection between the PCA and the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church as having this commonality. And and I think he's right, but I wouldn't describe what we have in common necessarily as, as a sense of history as much as it is uh, confessionalism. Mm-hmm. That in our denomination, in that denomination, there's a, a seriousness of... Uh, maintaining the confession of faith, of believing what it says, that that provides a kind of anchor, mm-hmm. you know, that that if you have a confession of faith that your denomination cherishes, that confession is a, an interpretation of Scripture, right? So you're clinging to the teaching of Scripture, but it's an interpretation of Scripture that, that it wasn't invented yesterday. So it's not the way 21st century people have decided to interpret the Bible, it's it's older than that. And so for us, as 21st century people, the confession of faith is like an anchor outside of time, mm-hmm. where we may be tempted to drift one way or the other as the culture pushes and the wind blows. But uh, our confession of faith prevents us from waking up tomorrow and kind of reinventing the Christian faith to make it more palatable. Yeah to a, a modern mind, right? We're kind of, uh, quote unquote, stuck with that interpretation, that tradition of interpretation. But I think that's a good thing. I find it not a, a pressure, but, but liberating. You know, that it's, it's a, a connection that we have to the Church of Jesus Christ going back to the beginning, and it keeps us in communion with that church mm-hmm. so that we know that our worship and our belief is not just a product of our culture, is not just a product of uh, conventional thinking of today. You know, Absolutely. And it keeps us from falling into the traps that, I mean, I know a, a very popular podcast that's out right now is the rise and fall of Mars Hill. Right. Uh, and following Mark Driscoll and his rise to fame and then crash and being rooted in the confessions 
gives shape to our expression of faith so that we can say, yeah, we see all of this going on around us. How do we respond? Well, we want to come, we hold to those confessions, not to say, well, we're stuck in this rigid form, but to say, this tells us how to address uh, the, the issue of sin in our society, how to proclaim the gospel. It guides us in our worship. It tells us what needs to be in worship. Um, and it, we could go through and find all of the scripture references, but hey, the, the, the confessions do, do that for us. And a good confessional document with, the, with all of the, the, the biblical references listed below that tells us, okay, here's, where, here's what our worship should look like. We're guided by these principles, and that's how we respond to culture. And yeah, it, it gives us great liberty to to move within that expression. And I, you, your your congregation at Grace faithfully does that uh, in their expression of worship on a Sunday morning. Our congregation at Ebenezer, I believe, faithfully pursues that uh, in our expression of worship on a Sunday morning, holy worship before the Lord. Our services are different, right? Very much so, right? Um, but but not wrong, mm-hmm. and neither one better than the other. It's just a particular expression as we understand the confessions and the teachings of Scripture, right? To to guide us and lead us in worship. So it's worship. not a straitjacket; it's like a resource and, and a guide, absolutely, that really helps. I think if if I had to sort of quantify the the separation, the divide between uh, historic Christianity on the one hand and the dazzled genes startup <laughs> thing that, that Matt is referring to. I think it's uh, this, this idea about how much scripture gives us when it comes to living the Christian life. And there's a mindset now that I would say is probably the dominant one, which is that the Bible provides some essentials. There's some kind of uh, minimal requirements that scripture gives us. And the rest is there for us to flesh out, you know, to kind of do in whatever way makes sense in the time that we find ourselves in, you know, so there's a, a, a core of truth and it just needs to be enculturated according to whatever works today. So in the most practical sense, you go to a worship service and we tend to think the content of what is being said needs to be biblical. But the form that everything takes is just up to people to do whatever is to their taste or whatever they come up with or whatever. Uh, God says we must worship him, but it's up to us to figure out, you know, how we want to worship him. Hmm. In the historic church, we've taken a, a different approach where we see scripture giving much more than just the essentials, like the, the bare bones, that that God not only tells us to worship him, but he also tells us how to do that. And he gives us the texts to meditate on as we do that. And so there's just a lot more that scripture informs than just what we may say, the content of the sermon. Mm -hmm. And I think for a person coming from the outside and, and witnessing these two different expressions of church, that's the thing that you're perceiving, whether you can, you know, put your finger on it or not, like, like one expression of historic Christianity has a an intentionality not only to its content but to its form and there's like a surprisingly thick uh, presence of scripture in the liturgy in the the way that things are done so that even when they differ from church to church 
they're still informed in the same way mm -hmm. by those influences. And so for people like me who grew up in the other kind of church where we just kind of got the bullet points from the Bible and then the rest was, was up to us, there's something refreshing about reconnecting with the historic church mm -hmm. and with the, the, the work of the spirit in the lives of, of believers for 2000 years. Yeah. Um, so I have elders who, or even church members who, when they go on vacation for the summer, will make it a point to go to other PCA churches. Um, and then to prove that they were going to those PCA churches, they'll bring me back the bulletins right. from the churches that they've attended over their, their, their vacation. And what's fascinating is while I don't think that the PCA has a, I mean, if you look to the, to the uh, book of worship, uh, or the directory for worship in our book of church order, uh, it has the elements that are required for worship. Uh, if you read through the, um, the Westminster confession, it has what the church is about and what holy worship should contain, but there's no form and structure. Right. It doesn't tell you what your liturgy is supposed to look like, but you you lay down my bulletin and Grace's bulletin and then bulletins from churches in, in uh, Texas or Colorado or wherever. And the the service is almost identical. Right. Now, the the, the style of it might be different, mm -hmm. but the the form of a biblical call to worship, a response in prayer confessing our sins and hearing the the word of assurance of pardon, uh, spending time in prayer before God, and then all of this to prepare ourselves for the receiving of his word and then responding to his word either through works of discipline or, or discipleship, excuse me, or uh, the sacraments um, and all of it, you know, with the, the ending with a benediction, this you find this form of worship, it, it's biblical, um, it's confessional, uh, and what, what I what I tried to express to the Matt in the video was the the whole the whole form from the beginning to the end preaches the gospel. Yes. So regardless of what you or I are preaching on a Sunday morning, the worship service, yeah, expresses the gospel. That was actually one of the things that amazed me the first time I experienced this kind of liturgically structured worship was that you could literally remove the sermon from the equation and the service preached. Yeah. Like every element of that dialogue between God and his people proclaimed the gospel so that it really turned my perception of, of what a worship service ought to be upside down. And this is one of the things that I hear from people once they've spent a little time with us. They, they may have felt the first Sunday that they worshiped with us that it was all a little strange. <laughs> that it was it was just not what they were accustomed to, you know, because so many people are accustomed to like half the service we sing, half the service we sit and, and watch a guy talk. And so having this more participatory worship was was unusual. But over time, when they're accustomed to it, and then, you know, I can say they travel or they find themselves at, at another church uh, for whatever reason, they miss these things that they've become accustomed to. And that, uh, you know, half music, half content kind of worship service doesn't feel like a worship service anymore. Like it feels like there's something missing. And mm -hmm. I mean, and of course, historically, that's right, because those 
modern services are are reflective of like Victorian camp meetings, not traditional Christian worship. And so once you've experienced it, I think you you really miss it when it's gone. And so that's why when I think about history and and the confession of faith and the the tradition, let's say, of the Reformation, it's not a pressure and it's not baggage. It's this extraordinarily freeing and valuable resource that we have that testifies to God's covenant faithfulness to his people in the same way that Israelites could look back on, on you know, 2,000 years of faithfulness of the covenant God. We can do the same thing and recognize that we are part of the same body that they are, even though they've been dead for generations. That's all the time we have for now on the commentary. Let me offer special thanks to Ethan for joining us in the studio and thank you for listening. We hope this conversation has helped awaken an appreciation for historic Christianity, and we hope you'll join us next time. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsuefalls.org.